Alright folks, I'm going to read from my book today um, about, so it's called Golden Horse, the Legendary Akalteke. Um, it's a pretty nice uh, book, lots of really high quality pictures. Okay, Origins of the Akalteke. The Akalteke is one of the oldest horse breeds in the world. It represents the purest version of the Turkmen horse and is a direct descendant of the famed Central Asian mounts of antiquity, the horses of the Masa Gete, the Nesians, and the Parthians. Central Asia was one of the early centers of horse domestication. However, due to the variation in geographical and climatic conditions within this area, Groups and subgroups of prehistoric wild horse evolved that differed consider considerably from each other. The territory stretching across the vast pasture lands of Central Asia and northern Iran, with its warm, dry climate, its abundance of nutritious grasses, and lack of snow in the winter, gave rise to the evolution of a relatively tall horse that was markedly different from the Przewalski's horse and the now extinct Tarpan. It could not have survived in the nearby steppes of southern Kazakhstan because of its inability to lay down fat and withstand the harsh conditions of the cold winter months. This large horse owed its survival to its speed, stamina, quick reactions, and ability to flee from danger. Professor Y.N. Barmintsev suggested that the evolution of this special type of Central Asian horse from a particular variety of wild Ecus caballus resulted in a domesticated breed that was highly refined and distinctive in appearance compared to other Central Asian domesticated horses. Ancient myths describing tall, wild horses with superb foals of slender stature hovering between heaven and earth were retold by the medieval Arab ge geographer Ibn Khordadbe. Yo, they use the same word, hovering. Hmm. The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Spirit of God. Is that a horse? I mean, they have a fucking animated movie called Spirit about wild horses in America, right? The Mustangs. Interesting. Hmm. Okay. So, similar accounts about the legendary origins of these noble Central Asian horses appear in Chinese scriptures. They are also perfectly illustrated by the depiction of horses in rock paintings in Arimachtao and Aravan, present-day Kyrgyzstan, which bear an indisputable resemblance to the Akalteke. These images likely represented the cult of the sun, which was associated with horses in the 
Masagate religion. I need to look these guys up now. They stand today as a testament to the exceptional achievements of selective animal breeding in ancient times. Among the horse breeds established in ancient times, those from Central Asia and Northern Iran were renowned for their superior qualities. According to Herodotus, according to Herodotus when the Persian king Xerxes invaded Greece, he held a race for his own cavalry. This was also a test of the Thessalian, Thessalian horsemen, whom he had heard were the best in Hellas. The Greek horses were far outpaced in this contest. Yeah, another interesting thing I heard or I read somewhere was apparently that these horses, their origins was even before Turkmenistan, their origins were apparently from Russia. And that made me think of Lake Baikal, but I haven't I haven't looked into that yet, but I just thought I'd mention that. Okay, other ancient sources refer to Nicene horses who were ridden by Persian kings and their noblemen and drew, drew sacred chariots. Alright, so this thing with the Nicene horses, or the Nicene, makes me think of the Nicene Creed in Christianity when apparently that was when all the different denominations of Christianity, all the different versions, the cults and everything, had to get together and decide what the fuck Christianity was. And then they decided, okay, this is these are these are our beliefs. And that's called the Nicene Creed. Just saying it's it's interesting that those sound similar. Okay. It is difficult to determine the exact historic location of Nicaea where these horses were bred. It should be noted, however, that one of the capitals of the later Parthian Empire was Nisa, located in the oasis of Akal in Turkmenistan, which is the center of Akal Teke breeding. Okay. The most vivid descriptions of horses bearing a clear resemblance to the modern-day Akal Teke are found in the writings of Opion and Vegetius. They describe tall horses of majestic stature with long, high-set, curved necks, convex profiles, golden, shimmering coats, and light movements that feel sorry that feel smooth under saddle and do not tire the rider. The glory of the Nicene breeding tradition in Persia was passed on to its sister tradition in Parthia, the state that emerged from the ruins of the Empire of Alexander the Great, situated near the territory of modern-day Turkmenistan. Parthian military might was determined by its cavalry, which defeated even such formib formidable opponents as the, wait for it, Romans. <laughs> hmm. What's uh, October 15th in Rome? The horse sacrifice um, ritual? Mm. As reported by Pliny the Elder, horse breeding in Parthia was highly selective. Only those stallions who won races were allowed to breed. Parthian horses were prized in Rome. According to the Roman poet Gratius Faliscus, Every patrician aspired to own a Parthian horse for war and for hunting. 
the fame of these prized Central Asian mounts traveled well beyond the region's western borders. Chinese emperors, who were also connoisseurs of good horses, sent armies to obtain herds of heavenly horses for their own use. In 102 BCE, after several unsuccessful attempts, the army of Emperor Wu Di was finally able to subordinate the region of Daiyuan situated in the Fergana Valley in modern-day Uzbekistan and took a quantity and took a quantity of noble horses as booty 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 famous rock paintings of horses resembling the modern-day Akalteke have been found in that same valley it should be noted that in ancient times the overall number of these carefully bred horses was small as it remains today there were most likely hundreds rather than thousands of them. The far-reaching presence of Central Asian horses in antiquity is evident from the renowned archaeological discovery in 1929 of the Pazaric burial sites in the where Altai Mountains of Siberia. Hmm, interesting. Where is the Altai Mountains? <laughs> Okay, within these within these burial sites dating from the third and fourth centuries BCE, horses were found buried alongside the body of a Scythian tribal leader, Professor V. O. Vitt, who studied Pazaric artifacts, wrote, When we consider the horses of the nomadic the nomadic Scythians, especially the Scythians of Siberia and Altai, which are adjacent to Mongolia, we would expect to see a horse more typical of this location, a small animal with a large head with plenty of mane, somewhat resembling the uh, Rewalski's horse type, Prewalski's horse type, as unless the P is silent, I don't know, as well as the modern modern Mongolian pony. But this is not what we find at Pazaric, the dark chestnut horse in the grave of the Altai Scythian is a refined, ancient saddle horse, the war horse of Central Asia, preserved for posterity in the paintings and reliefs of Assyria, Egypt, and Greece. Damn, man, this horse went that far. After the defeat of the Parthian Empire, ruled by the Arsacids, and the rise of the Sasanian in the 3rd century CE, the region became known as Khorasan, meaning the east. Huh, Khorasan. Khorasan. San is mountain. Okay, but despite this change in power, the Parthian horse breeding tradition did not die. It was preserved by the Masa. Masag Masajte, I don't know, Masagite tribes of Central Asia, who together with the Turkic and Oghuz peoples formed the basis for modern Turkmen ethnicity. In the original military campaigns led by the Persian kings, the Arabs rode camels. But after the invasions, having appropriated horses from North Africa and Asia Minor, already improved as a result of cross breeding to Parthian horses, the Arabs were then able to acquire the best horses of Persia and Central Asia, which allowed them 
to develop their own tradition of selective breeding and a distinct breed of their own. The Arab invasion of Persia and Central Asia during the late 7th and early 8th centuries CE radically changed the political landscape of the region. As with all previous and subsequent invasions, it touched mostly the ancient centers of Central Asian civilization, the cities and the fertile oases. The steppes inhabited by the nomadic ancestors of the Turkmen people remained independent, and it was among them that the old tradition of selective horse breeding remained intact. Hmm. So Cain was a farmer, and Abel, I guess, was one of these fuckers on the steps living a nomadic life. Well, just saying, if you know, if you want to look at it that way. Okay, um, in approximately the 10th century, the Central Asian nomads voluntarily adopted Islam and became officially known as the Turkmen. I see. Well, yeah, so basically once they accepted the city religion Islam, they became known as the Turkmen to the world. Ah, so is that what that meant when they said... We shall build a tower and make a name for ourselves, meaning become civilized? Hmm, anyways. Okay, uh, where was I? Man, I just completely lost where the fuck I was, man. Okay. Hmm. In approximately the... Okay, at that time, one of the most influential ethnic groups in the region was the Seljuks. Towards the end of the 10th century, they began to assert their power and were only nominally subordinate to the Arab Caliphate. In 1037, they took over Khorasan and after winning the Battle of Dandanakan against Sultan Masud of Ghazni, they soon took over most of Persia, followed by a significant part of the Near East and Asia Minor. Soon, however, as a result of internecine strife, the Seljuk Empire fragmented into small Atabeg dynasties, whose power was dependent on the military superiority of their Turkmen-mounted units. Okay, the end of the 12th century saw the rise of a new power, the, Khwarez, the Khwarezmian Empire. According to the Hiva historian Abul Ghazi, Khwarez, Khwarezm wielded power over the Turkmen tribes, including the Teke, who were part of a larger tribal alliance headed by the Salir, Salir, Salir people. S-A-L-Y-R, Salire. But at the height of its influence, the Khwarazmian Empire came up against Genghis Khan and his Mongol army. Look at this shit. This, this horse is in the middle of all the action. <laughs> okay. Jalaluddin Mingburna, the last ruler of the Khwarazmian Empire, was defeated in battle on the banks of the river Indus. Look at this shit. Rather than allowing himself to be captured, he rode his horse into the river, 
swam to the other side and fled from his Mongol pursuers. He continued to oppose Genghis Khan and fought for another 10 years until his death. The Turkmen tribes who supported Khwarazm, including the Teke, were eventually forced to accept Mongol rule, but they retained their customs, including their horse-breeding secrets. Those tribes who did not accept Mongol rule migrated west. Among these was the Hmm. Those tribes who did not accept Mongol rule migrated west. Among these was the Osman tribe who would lay the foundations of the Ottoman Empire. I see. Evidence that Turkmen horses were being exported to nearby countries by the 13th century is clear from the writings of the Italian explorer. Look at this, Marco Polo. He's involved too. Who noted their superior quality. So too did many merchants, including the Russian Afanasy Nikitin, who took a well-bred stallion to India to sell in the 14th century. This is what I'm saying. Russia was involved with these horses way back then. Apparently, the when the Soviets, they had huge horse these horse breeding farms apparently, or or stables. Okay, um, indeed, some well-known Asian breeds can be considered direct descendants of the Turkmen horse, the Persian horse, the Karabakh horse of Azerbaijan, and the Indian breeds Marwari and Katiawari. Although the Ottoman Turks had easy access to Arabian horses, they attached special value to the horses bred in their historic homeland. According to the 18th century German-born explorer Karsten Nieber, Nieber, the Turks did not value Arabian horses, but instead preferred their taller, slender, majestic-looking horses decorated with elaborate jewelry. In Asia Minor and throughout the Near East, the Turkmen horses continued to be bred, and there is evidence that in Syria this was continued until the 19th century. In the 1890s, well-known Arabian breed expert O.A. Balakshin noted certain similarities in the conformation of the Syrian, Arab, and the Akaltake. Naturally, these Turkmen horses greatly influenced local breeds. In Mesopotamia, a new strain emerged within the Arabian breed as a result of crossing Arabian and Turkmen horses. Experts on Arabian horses such as Carl Reinhardt Raswan, Johannes Eric Flade, and Erika Schlil agree that such a cross-breeding took place, but there are differences of opinion about the extent to which it occurred. The new strain was known as the Muniqui Arabian, taller than the classic type and longer in the body with a certain angularity of form and an impressive speed. While Turkmen horses were less well known in Europe, they nevertheless left a significant trace. Horses from Central Asia and the Near East that found their way to Europe were often referred to as Arabian and exerted considerable influence on European horse breeding, including in the creation of the English thoroughbred. According to eminent Russian hippologist Professor V. O. Vitt, the English thoroughbred foundation stallion 
Darley Arabian, who was who was shipped to England from Syria in 1704, was a Turkmen horse, or possibly a Turkmen Arabian cross. Besides Darley Arabian, a host of horses used to create the English thoroughbred bear a striking resemblance to the Turkmen horse. Significantly certain aspects of the English race training tradition such as, such as exercising under blankets and early breaking and training of young stock are remarkably similar to the old Turkmen traditions. It is therefore a safe assumption. Yo, what if the magic carpet was just the thing just the carpet you put over a horse that was the song they would play back in the day on the horse when the dude when the men would go pick up their lady <laughs> on their horse <laughs> I can show you the world <laughs> alright um let's see I mean, it was based in, in in Arabia, so they had horses. Okay, uh, let's see, where was I? Significant, significantly certain aspects of the English race training tradition, such as um, exercise. Okay, I read all that. It is therefore a safe assumption that the training methods themselves may have been brought to England by the grooms and handlers who accompanied the horses on their journey to the British Isles. Hmm. While the authentic type of Turkmen horse did not survive in Turkey, the Turks were always aware of their common Turkmen heritage and when the Turkmen horses found their way to the stables of the Sultan, they were valued more than any other breed, M more than another breed. Okay, at the end of the Mongol invasions in the late 1200s, the Turkmen tribes who had remained in their historic homeland found themselves under the rule of three contiguous political entities: the Golden Horde, the Ilkhanate of Persia, and the Chata Chagatai Khanate. So basically, Genghis Khan's sons. See, this is this is also I find I find the Bible, especially the New Testament, especially the character of Jesus. The more I just do all look into all this shit, so I I feel like the character of Jesus, the characteristics, you know, the long suffering, the the patient, the kind the the, the 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 gentle these characteristics were taken from this horse the occultic horse but as far as the sayings of Jesus now that that is something I'm trying to figure out who it could be and from everything I've looked at it feels like it could be a mix of I don't know. It's definitely a mix of, of stuff, so I think. And I think Russia 
Russia was invo is involved. I think these these the sons of Genghis Khan. This theme is involved with the stories of like when the stories when Jesus would say the the master sent his servant to check on his farm and the workers killed that servant. He sent another one. He killed them. So the third time he sent, he said, "I'll send my son this time. They're not gonna kill my son." So they sent his son and they killed him too. So, and then Jesus was like, what do you think the master would do when he f heard about that? What do you think he would do to those workers? I don't know. This sounds kind of like this whole theme of just this empire. The theme of empire is running. So that's why, I mean, I think, it could, you know, it could have been based off of Caesar. You know, that's, that's, that's there. I mean, I've heard that one, but. There's other things in there too that I'm trying to pinpoint. And this connection with this horse and Russia during the Soviet Union, that has piqued my interest. So I'm going to look. Because the Pope was involved with bringing the wall down in the Soviet Union. I forget which pope, but it's it was a big thing. And that's what I'm saying. Like, anywhere I look with Christianity, the pope is always involved. The Vatican is always involved. And then this, all this is new. The horse stuff. And then now Russia. And then communism and the Soviet Union. It's just, I don't know. It's just interesting. I don't know where this is all going to lead to but just wanted to put that out there okay these states had nominal borders and their existence was punctuated by incessant wars and scuffles by the 14th century practically all of central asia and persia were amalgamated under the influence of tamerlane some turkmen tribes supported tamerlane tamerlane was a fucking savage he was a badass i think i mean as a as a like a general just like for strategy general war stuff he was a fucking badass motherfucker man that fucker knew how to <laughs> win wars man okay um some Turkmen tribes supported Tamerlane and others opposed him in bitter armed struggle. After the fall of Tamerlane's empire, the history of the Turkmen territory up to the time of his annexation to the Russian Empire is an integral part of Persian history and that of two Uzbek principalities, the Emirate of Bukhara and the Khanate of Kiva. Yo. I need to look that up because that sounds way too similar with Shiva. Okay, both of these states aspired to exert influence over the Turkmen people and the fortunes of each to some extent depended on whose side the famed Turkmen mounted warriors were prepared to take. The, the reputation of the Turkmen was inextricably linked to the superior quality of their horses. Isn't that crazy? Just one horse made such a big difference. 
No other type of horse that the Turkmen came into contact with could compare with their own prized breed. This was probably the main reason why Turkmen horses were bred to stay pure. The quality of war horse guaranteed the owner not only his wealth but his life itself. Yeah, what if Jesus was a fucking war horse, man? Keeping such finely bred animals in Turkmen conditions was very expensive, but in the desert, any horse required the owner to buy barley and alfalfa, so there was no real advantage in keeping the cheaper, more common steppe horse known as Yabi in the Turkmen language. The Teke tribe, like all Turkmen tribes, was divided into sedentary and nomadic and nomadic people look at that Cain and Abel right there and those who could afford to move around generally possessed greater material wealth yeah you follow the animals the livestock you live like the way nature intended <laughs> you will be blessed it is interesting to note that horse breeding was more the domain of the Chomor who were poorer but more militant Unlike the diets of other peoples of Central Asia, the Turkmen diet never included horse meat or mare's milk, and killing a horse, no matter how old or sick, was regarded as sinful. When the Turkmen were not out on Alamans, mounted raids on the Silk Road caravans, yeah. or attacking rival tribesmen, they raced their horses. Horse trainers known as, I see, so this is where they got the whole horse racing thing from, I see, Calcutta is a horse racing term, look it up, okay, race trainers known as Seis, S-E-I-S, guarded their training secrets and passed them down orally through the generations look at that look at that matthew mark luke and john right here preparation for a race was divided into two stages the first stage was feeding up where the condition of the horse was enhanced by feeding it the standard akal take a diet of barley and alfalfa but with the addition of eggs and bread smeared with mutton fat, that's goat or sheep fat. During this period, horses were worked only at a walking pace, usually by riding them to a watering hole. Sounds like uh, those uh, training um, interviews of boxers and stuff before their fights boxers or UFC fighters how they prepare the second stage was race training which included which included a gradual increase in canter work while also continuing the walking regime the horses were worked under felt blankets to encourage sweating allowing them to lose fat and build muscle Races were a favorite national pastime of the Turkmen people and were staged on auspicious occasions. Most races were run between just two horses and over a distance no longer than five furlongs, 0.63 miles. The winner usually took part in the next race, running as many as four races in one day. I see. 
That's why you gotta keep them. Race winners were in great demand and were widely used in breeding. So, this is, this is, I just wanted to say, in my research on the story of Samson, there are darker versions of his story in which, which are apparently not included in the Bible, in which apparently, because he was such a stud muffin, <laughs> the Palestinians would bring their wives to become pregnant through Samson to produce very, very strong offspring. Does this sound like horse breeding to you? Because when he was in the Palestinian captivity, where was he? He was set to work in the in the granary the or the windmill to grind away to to grind the grain. I don't know. There's pictures of donkeys and horses doing that in that circular thingy. I mean, anyways, just a thought. Just a thought. <laughs> okay. Um. Races were a key factor in determining selection criteria for Turkmen horse breeding, as was the performance of horses in military raids. This was not the case for the Turkmen's Central Asian neighbors, however, who, however, who saw horse racing as mere entertainment and usually gilded their winners. Gilded, what is gilded? In Russia, too, Turkmen horses known as Argamuks Argamuks were highly regarded. They were ridden by the gentry and used at imperial stud farms. Merchants and emissaries traveling to Persia, Kiva, and Bukhara invariably returned with Argamuks to be presented as gifts to the Tsar. The wars waged by Peter the Great during the 17th century wiped out a huge portion of the Russian equine population man why and decimated the imperial stud farms when the time came to restore horse breeding industry industry breeders turned to the argamuks by decree of Peter the Great new stud farms were built in Kazan and Simbirks principalities which with instructions to use Persian stallions on Cherkasy mares. Hmm. I mean, even in Samson, he does say that one f phrase where he says, If you would not have plowed with my heifer. Hmm. Okay, although the project itself was never completed, it tells us that the recipe for producing quality saddle horses using the Argamuk as an Im improver was well known to horse breeders at that time. Turkmen horses in general, and particularly those bred by the Teke tribe, played an important role in Russian selective breeding in the 18th and the first half of the 19th centuries. Professor V.O. Witt describes this vividly in his collection of articles entitled Horse Breeds of Central Asia. 
I'm going to look that up now. <laughs> According to the data he collected across stud farms in Russia in the 1840s, almost 40% of horses were Turkmen in origin. Look at that. Hmm. Interesting. To source Turkmen horses, the Russian government dispatched special expeditions to Central Asia, led by veterinarians Kirsting and Nani who between them purchased 30 stallions. Teke stallions commanded the highest price and the most expensive of all was the future stud stallion of the Streletsk, Streletsk stud farm, Yalantush Khan, who played a central part in the creation of the Streletsk, Streletsk breed. According to Professor Witt, the foundation sire of the Orlov saddlebred, the dark brown Sultan I, was most likely a Turkmen horse too. In the Don stud farm in 1839, there were over 800 Turkmen stallions, though they were sometimes referred to as Persian. Turkmen horses were also used by breeders of the Bashkir region, in, region and by the Oral Cossacks. 19th century Russian historian and ethnographer Pavel Ivanovich Nebolsin described a Turkmen stud stallion he saw in a breeding stable in Bashkiria. I couldn't take my eyes away from a gray teke, a tall, beautiful animal, five vershoks tall. The writer means two arshans and five vershoks, which is equal to 16.2 hands. With a long, straight neck and wondrously fine skin, he had virtually no mane. His muzzle, legs, and chest were a pleasure to behold. He was being led by two stocky Bashkir men. He barely touched the ground as he danced along, and one could see every ligament under his skin, like a taut steel string. His whole body, covered in sweat from excessive energy, was literally swathed in gold. That is the only way to describe the color of his coat in the sunlight. Jesus fucking Christ. It sounds majestic. One of the best known breeding stallions in Germany at the beginning of the 19th century was the Golden Bay Turkmen Ati. He was used at the Neustadt Stud where he he was used at the Neustad Stud, where he sired a line of horses subsequently used in the creation of the famous Trekenner breed. It is quite possible that other Eastern imports used at or at Euro at European stud farms were Turkmen, but referred to as Arabian, Persian, or Turkish. For example, stallion. Gomush Bornu at the German stud farm Whale, now known as Whale Marbuk, was likely to have been of Turkmen origin. European explorers and military men who traveled through Central Asia and Persia often gave pithy descriptions of Turkmen horses and clearly recognized their superior caliber. Hmm. Caliber. When in 1884 a consignment of six Turkmen horses arrived in France from Merv, 
Merv, I've talked about Merv before, apparently is one of the oldest cities in the world. The famous French hippologist Eugene Gayot, Gayot wrote about them with great excitement and proclaimed them to be the new blood horse. Hmm, blood horse. One of the horses in the consignment was a stallion named Merv, who was shipped on to England and included in the eastern section of the Wetherby's Thoroughbred Stud Book. By the 18th century, the Teke had emerged as the most powerful tribe in the region. Led by Kamir Kerr, the Teke conquered the Akal Oasis, and in the 19th century, they annexed Merv with Koshat Khan as their leader. Traditionally, the Teke were considered to be under control of the Khan of Kiva, but over time they had effectively become independent. Attempts to subordinate the Teke, first by Kiva in 1858 and then by Persia in 1861, resulted in outright failure with severe military losses. Yeah, I wonder if the golden goose is in a Kalteke horse. Because, I mean, you're literally making bank from just making more copies of that horse. Hmm. Um, traditionally... Okay. Attempts, okay. By now, the Teke tradition of selective horse breeding had become highly sophisticated. Many visitors to the region noted that the Teke tribe had the best horses among the Turkmen. Those who encountered a Teke horse for the first time were struck by its resemblance to the English thoroughbred. Yeah, man, this is what I'm saying. Our shit all connects back to this spot right here in Central Asia, man. Lake Baikal. Probably we all came from that area anyways. Alright, um, I'm, I, I don't know about that, that was just, that's just a theory, but, okay. Um, those who encountered a take okay, thoroughbred, they noted its exceptional speed and stamina, its dry, long limbs, and an almost complete lack of mane. I mean, if you can't... Get a copy of this book, it's pretty nice. Got nice high resolution pictures. Alright, um The best Turkmen horses aroused much admiration from equestrian connoisseurs. The author of an article published in eighteen seventy in the magazine Horse Breeding described a grey stallion he had seen recently he had recently seen. He was three point five Okay, so basically 15.3 hands, perhaps even taller, but he seems shorter because of being considerably long in the body, though not exceeding the strict proportions expected of a racehorse. His back and croup have an exceptionally correct outline. The hind legs are widely positioned at mathematically correct angles. The withers are high and the girth ample the chest is broad and shoulders high he has a graceful long swan neck the neck the head and the pole are exquisitely well proportioned the head is very dry the ears are longer than usual and the tips of the ears are curved inwards 
um, the profile is slightly convex, typical of Turkmen horses, fine lips, large eyes, and wide nostrils adorn his noble head. His muscles are very well developed. The power of the quarters and shoulders are combined with a striking, almost exaggerated refinement of his head and limbs. The latter are particularly fine and dry, but with well-developed muscles. The fine coat, beautifully tended, adds to the overall effect. These horses are especially fine in movement when the amalgam of power and lightness is revealed. I need to go ride one of these motherfuckers now. They're so majestic. Okay. Whereas horses of other tribes were considered noticeably inferior, the horses of the Yomud tribe were seen as valuable, though not on par with the horses of the Teke. In fact, the best Teke horses did not belong exclusively to members of the Teke tribe. The well-known Yomud tribal leader Junaid Khan rode a Teke stallion, Mele Kadji Nur, Nur, who was the sire and grandsire of the two line founders of the Akalteke breed, Toporbai and L. Holy shit, L. L is one of the founders of the Akalteke breed. L as in E-L. Oh my goodness, I have to look this shit up. <laughs> the dam of the famous Akaltegi stallion Mele Kush. What does that mean? The dam. D A M. The dam of the famous Akaltegi stallion Mele Kush, the son of Boinu, belonged to Oraz Niaz Karadashli. Kara, Kara Karadashli, who, judging by his name, belonged to the Karadashli tribe. There is evidence that Boinu himself belonged at one point to a Turkmen from the Sarik tribe. During the second half of the 19th century, the Turkmen horse was still bred for military use as it had been for thousands of years. It was crucial for a Turkmen warrior to have a good war horse to ensure his and his family's safety so well-bred horses were highly prized despite the expensive cost of raising a pure bred horse in the desert as a turkman saying goes while a foal grows into a fine horse his owner will become a thin dog <laughs> uh, that's funny man <laughs> but <laughs> By the late 1890s, the Russian Empire had annexed most of Central Asia, and its borders were now adjacent to the Akal Oasis at the foothills of the Kopet Dag mountain range in present-day Turkmenistan. Look at this shit. <laughs> this area was inhabited by the most militant of all the Turkmen tribes and was the epicenter of all Central Asian horse breeding. In the wake of their recent armed campaigns, the Russian cavalrymen held the, milita held the military capability of the Turkmen in high esteem and regarded this to be the direct consequence of the superior quality of their horses. A year before the military incursion into the Akal Oasis, Colonel N.I. 
Gordekov wrote, The might of a Teke man is in the strength of his horse. He owes his success on the battlefield to instant attack and prompt escape. A Teke tribesman without a horse is a fish out of water, a bird without wings. That's why he values his horse more than anything in life, more than his wife, his children, or his livestock. What does Jesus say in the Bible? Come follow me. To follow me, you have to abandon your... All this shit. Doesn't it say that? Hmm. If he has a good horse, he will always be able to procure a wife, slaves, and livestock. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Do you see how close man and horse was? Okay. You will often observe a caravan with a tatty felt cover, yet his horse will be swaddled in the best blankets. <laughs> For as long as a Teke tribesman has his excellent horse, he will remain a raider. Interesting. Hmm. This completely changes the view on, let's say, when Jesus went into the temple and started flipping over the tables and shit. Hmm, imagine, interesting, okay. Um, that's why if we want to defeat the Teke, we have to confiscate their prime and only weapon. In reality, it was on, not only the mounted raiders who posed a threat to the Russian army, the Teke infantry was also able to stage such impressive resistance that the first Russian military campaign in 1879 suffered defeat damn just because of a horse you think the gold camo for <laughs> weapons came from the idea of this golden horse it's like the golden ak-47 you think it came from when they i mean the ak was was built in, Ru in russia right wasn't it so hmm <laughs> who knows and then apparently the arabs were the ones who built the guns at first anyways mm, the Teke continued to defend their independence during the second Akal campaign but their forces and ammunition were inferior in 1881 the Russian forces led by MD Skobelev conquered the Akal oasis following annexation of the Turkmen territory to the Russian Empire which resulted in the renaming of the area to Transcapia Trans Transcaspia sorry Transcaspia the inhabitants lives changed dramatically the Alaman raids were banned and the need to breed war horses was greatly diminished although some of the Akalteke horses bred at this time were provided to the country's 200 Turkmen mounted police and to officers of other military divisions stationed in the area the majority were sold to persia afghanistan kiva and bukhara the sale price dropped and did not always cover the costs of raising an animal horse breeding declined both in quantity and in quality a few russian army officers stationed in transcaspia who were familiar with the situation wrote to the governor a. N. Kuropatkin, 
with the suggestion that a number of English thoroughbred stallions should be acquired to improve the quality of the local riding horses. However, it appears that Kuropatkin valued the Akalteke horses too much to agree with this seemingly reasonable suggestion. Instead, he ordered a survey to assess the state of horse breeding in Transcaspia, which was to be conducted by a commission consisting of military as well as civilian representatives. On February 18, 1896, the commission reported its findings confirming the decline of horse breeding activities in the region and noting that all the Turkmen horses, the Turkmen themselves, valued the Yomud and the Akalteke horses the most, in particular the purebred examples of the latter. The findings further revealed that the Akalteke horse population was dwindling, not due to natural genetic decline, but because of pre preventable external factors. The commission recognized that in order to improve the quality of the horses in the region, it would be necessary to set up local breeding centers for, for native Turkmen horses. Governor Kuropatkin wrote to the overseer of state horse breeding, Count Vorontsov Dashkov, requesting that a competent person is posted to the region with the aim of taking appropriate measures. Kuropatkin's appeal was not received favorably on account of a lack of funds. The poor response was most likely due to a lack of understanding of the inherent value of the Akalteke breed. Yeah, man, it's always idiots are, for some reason, put in charge to take care of, like, something important. Okay, if one is to judge by the well-known portraits of the stallions Sardar, Sardar and Tekma by the Russian painter B.P. Willowald, some very high-quality horses were brought to Russia after the fall of the Turkmen fortress at Georg Tepe in 1881. Hmm. Many of the horses had more than just a striking appearance. They possessed impressive workability as well. Belki and a Kaltake mare brought out from Transcaspia by F. Boboshko even took first prize in a long-distance ride over 100, over 62 miles. Boboshko's other Akalteke horses were raced against English thoroughbreds and were never far off the winning post. In a series of articles published in Horse Breeding Magazine, well-known Russian hippologist Fursov, Fursov an analyzed and challenged the then-prevalent theory that the Turkmen horse originated from the Arabian breed. Fursov gave convincing evidence of the independent evolutionary path the Turkmen horse followed from ancient times and its influence on horse breeding worldwide. Sadly, Fursov's article received little attention, and Boboshko's enthusiasm for the Akalteke was perceived as a folly. Contemporary horse breeding manuals even described the Turkmen horse as, as a cross between Arabian and Persian breeds. Thus, it appears that neither 
Vorontsov-Dashkov nor his colleagues at state-owned stud farms had much sense of the significance of the Akalteke breed and as a result paid little attention to Governor Kuropatkin's appeal. This shit keeps going, man. It's a great book, but um, I'll, I'll read a little more. Being rebuffed by the head of state horse breeding did not extinguish Kuropatkin's zeal to support horse breeding in Transcaspia. In 1897, he allocated funds from the general, from the regional budget to enable Colonel Kovalev to purchase three purebred stallions. Abbas Shah, Abrek, and Alaman Bey. The following year, he appointed Grigory Andreevich Mazan, a, caval a cavalry officer of the Caucasian Division and originally a Cossack from the Koronovsky settlement of the Kuban region as manager of Transcaspian stables. Twelve loose boxes were erected as stables in the village of Keshi, where the Turkmen Cavalry Division was stationed at that time. A landmark in the history of Transcaspian stables was the purchase of Boinu, the greatest purebred Akalteke sire. The term used in those days was Akalteke blood horse. He was acquired at the age of 16, by which time he was well known for the quality of his offspring, who demonstrated both strong type and superlative speed. Later stallions, including Voron, Agar, Gecheli, Baba, Kun, Dovlet, Ishan, Sapar Khan, and Mele Kush, also became famous for, th for the high caliber of their progeny and eventually became line founders in the breed. Every mare was issued a covering certificate, and Mazan accurately recorded the pedigree of the foals and assessed the quality of the off offspring from each breeding pair. Yeah, it went from animals to humans, and then we called it eugenics. Breeding season lasted from March to June, and two additional breeding stations were set up in Merv, now called Mary, and Fort Alexander, now Aktau in Kazakhstan, where local Turkmen breeders could bring their mares for in-hand cover. From, From time when Transcaspian stables first opened until 1909, breeding for the mares belonging to local Turkmen breeders was free. After 1909, they were charged half the cost established for other non-Turkmen breeders residing in the Transcaspian region. In 1901, regular exhibitions started to be organized to show the stable's yearlings, with the best ones being awarded monetary prizes and trophies. Um, the activities of the stables met with approval from traditional Turkmen breeders, especially those residing in the vicinity of Ashgabat, the nation's capital. The stallions of Transcaspian stables were in great demand, exceeding supply. In his reports to the governor of the Transcaspian region, Mazan regularly 
highlighted the need to acquire new Akal blood horse sires. In order to retain the best stallions as well as the best mares, Transcaspian Stables undertook an expansion that allowed it to maintain a herd of its own mares, gradually transforming it into a proper Transcaspian regional stud farm. Hmm. Interesting. This move was most likely prompted by the fact that from 1904 to 1905, 214 Akal Teke mares were exported to Persia, Afghanistan, and India. Hmm. Considering the limited overall number of mares within the breed, recorded as 551 heads in 1896, this one export constituted a loss of nearly half of the Akalteke mare population. 100 hectares were allotted near the village of Maktum Kala near Ashgabat and Mazan began to acquire mares for the stud at every opportunity. Over time, what had started off as a modest undertaking by General Kurpatkin became a site of keen interest for Ashgabat and the whole Transcaspian region. Visitors to the area, even those who were not necessarily horse breeders or enthusiasts, gave interesting accounts of their excursions to the stables. A Russian compose, composer of Swedish descent, V.N. V. N. Gartvelt, wrote, "I have never been horsey. I have never been horsey, and never been particularly interested in equestrianism." However, I must admit that I have never seen and could not even imagine horses of such striking beauty as those I saw in Ashgabat. Every horse is a piece of poetry. Damn. <laughs> you went that far. Okay, another visitor, Jen Jendarm Officer uh, A.M. Polyakov, could not contain his excitement at the sight of the Akalteke horses. I remember when the head of the stables, Captain Mazan, showed me their stallions. It should be noted that Teke people only ride stallions. To even sit on a mare is considered shameful. Mazan showed me the difference between a purebred Akalteke horse and an English thoroughbred. I have to say that comparing them does not do the latter any favors. An English horse a Eng an English horse stood next to a Teke looks rather like a commoner before a nobleman. Damn! <laughs> Damn! Okay, the work of Transcaspian sta Stables came to the attention of the general public during the exhibitions in Tashkent, Piatigorsk, Piatigorsk? and Kiev between 1909 and 1913. The breed, which was once well known in Russia but then forgotten, had been rediscovered. Look at that. Rediscovered. Enthusiastic responses abounded in the press and the government was called upon to encourage the breeding of Akalteke horses by state-owned stud farms outside Transcaspia. 
the exhibitions changed the economic fortune of the breed in a seminal way. While Mazan had previously written about the difficulties of finding commercial outlets for the horses, after the exhibitions, he received so many inquiries for mirrors from prospective buyers that if I was to satisfy every interested party, there wouldn't be any decent mirrors left in the whole of a call. <laughs> All right, the combination of Mazan's efforts at Transcaspian stables and the activities of individual traditional Turkmen breeders led to a renaissance of the Akalteke breed and an increase in both uh, the quantity and the quality of the horse population. After Count N.B. Sherbatov, the chief of imperial horse breeding, visited Transcaspia in 1914, new measures were put forward that were designed to support Akalteke breeding. The number of stallions at Transcaspia stables was to be increased to 60, Stipends were to be awarded to private stallion owners and Transcaspian stables. Mayor Heard was to receive government support. That's what I'm saying. Why not everyone just go back to riding horses? They're so much cooler. Fucking go go get you in a call take a horse instead of a fucking electric car or a, or a regular car for that matter these things if you take care of them they take care of you <laughs> they're environmentally friendly too <laughs> like fucking they oh my goodness okay um <laughs> if you want to um okay the proposed measures were presented to Tsar Nicholas II who upon who upon consideration gave them his royal stamp of approval Sadly, with the onset of World War I, the new measures did not have a chance to be implemented. During the ensuing military campaign, the Turkmen Cavalry, Cavalry Regiment, consisting of Turkmen volunteers, mostly riding Akalteke stallions, became known as the Teke Legion and earned a reputation for carrying out, carrying out swashbuckling attacks. Yo! The Teke Legion. Jesus said, I have legions of angels at my disposal. Legions of angels. Are these the Teke? Is this the Teke Legion? The officers of other cavalry regiments who had been stationed in Central Asia during peacetime also often chose to ride a call Teke stallions. Many of these horses died at the front, creating an unprecedented demand for replacements. The situation soon reached critical proportions, prompting Mazan to initiate a petition from the State Horse Breeding Regulatory Authority to the Ministry, Ministry of Military Affairs to exempt Akalteke horses from being sent to the front. I agree. The petition was honored and the remaining horses were re-registered and some of them returned by the military to the stud farm. I agree. You should do this with humans too. <laughs> Nevertheless, meaning don't send them to war. <laughs> Nevertheless, the breeding was now close to extinction with the total number of horses exempted from the military campaign amounting to 643, of which 405 were mares, 
25 were stallions over four years of age and the rest young stock. During the Russian Civil War, which followed the Russian Revolution of 1917, the crisis worsened. In an attempt to save Transcaspian stables from the advancing Bolshevik Red Army, the officers of the anti-communist White Army evacuated the horses to Tursk in the North Caucasus to a place known today as the Malkin Stud Farm. M-A-L-K-I-N However, the revolution, the revolution soon arrived there also, and some of the stallions were requis what? Requis requisitioned, okay, requisitioned <laughs> into the Red Cavalry, while others found their way into the hands of local residents. Untold damage was also done to the breed in Transcaspia, where British troops who had fought alongside the White Army took 60 Akaltake stallions away with uh, away with them as booty, booty, booty. Having thus witnessed the destruction of his lifelong project, Mazan was forced to depart from Ekateri. Ekaterinodar, where he fell ill and died on December twentieth, December twenty eighth, nineteen nineteen. Of course, he fell ill and died. How convenient. Well, I'm gonna stop this one here and follow. Maybe with part two. Peace. <laughs>